Hello. So um, to be honest with you, I don't remember where this idea came from. Yes, yeah. So it came from a notebook out of a stack of notebooks that I found and furiously scrubbed through last night looking for uh, old stuff. Yeah. Well, I was a, a theater kid, and uh, I started watching like Monty Python and the Kids in the Hall and stuff like that. So it just you know I was always writing when I was younger too. So the two sort of crashed into each other, and I just started. So wanting to do sketch comedy. Even older, longer pieces, like short stories. Yeah, it was a lot of the stuff. Um, the alternate piece I brought was actually like the first draft of a short play, because um, after high school, I'd started to want to do more playwriting than anything else. So. Actually, the first was um, Nick at Night used to run uh, these abbreviated versions of Saturday Night Live from the first few seasons with like Gilda Radner and Bill Murray. 30 minute, yeah. It was like these little best of shows that they would air. Pretty much, yeah. No, no music. I didn't. I don't even think I knew there was musical guests on SNL until. <laughs> yeah, usually the same three. It was usually like a news sketch and the the bee, the killer bees, and uh, was it uh, was a Lisa Lupner, Lisa Lautner? Yeah. Um, don't remember actually I think it was probably like early like maybe middle school um, every once in a while being allowed to stay up late and watch usually it was like we would be allowed to watch up until the news usually like the first half hour and then you know then it's midnight and you got to go to bed and plus I guess my parents knew I wasn't going to get half the jokes from the news at <laughs> in ninth grade Yeah. 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 I always, I always found that like there's, I think that's like your turning point where you get to the news part and you get the jokes, but then, and this is something that happened probably like I want to say that the nineties, where they started putting the weirder stuff towards the end of the show because they figured people had probably checked out. So that's where you'd get to see the, the bizarre things that two seasons later would be like the regular characters that they would do. And uh, just really starting to, like when that clicked in my head, it was like, oh, I got to push through because here's where the 
good stuff is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, it was, I mean, sitcoms, of course, you can't avoid watching sitcoms, uh, movies. I remember I was in, um, I was in third grade when I was given my first Marx Brothers tape, and I remember watching, it was Horse Feathers. I remember my mom brought it home. I watched the first half, and then I had to go to bed, and I could, like, the next day, I remember just being so amped up for school to be done so I could run home and watch the rest of the movie. And uh, so I've always loved classic comedy movies. And when uh, Comedy Central or Ha or whatever it first was launched, I remember we had it. And they would show uh, Ernie Kovacs' show. And that was another thing that just clicked and, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh huh. You might be able to, yeah. And it doesn't even work if you're like, he's the one with the cigar. He's like, oh, that's also Groucho Marx. There's three of them who have cigars. For the most part, yeah, because Comedy Central at the time didn't have original programming. So they were airing old stuff. I mean, they were syndicating Kids in the Hall at the same time. It was on HBO, um, so, so yeah, stuff like that. So you were writing little plays and short stories and kids in the hall and Modern Python hit. What was it about kids in the hall and Modern Python that like was like pushed you to sketch? Um, I I don't think I needed to be pushed to sketch. I think it was I was just always drawn to it. Yeah. I liked the the short form of it. I liked how it could easily be something very literal and playing with language, or it could be something very simple and visual, and, or it could be a combination of both, or it could be neither. It could be something from out of left field. It almost seems like there, you know, going back to the Marx Brothers, it's almost like there are no rules. The only rule is basically like, don't go too long. Like, right. Keep attention. Right. But even that, I mean, you can even play with going too long, yeah. so um, really beating a joke to death. When did you actually start performing? Well, I started performing in, uh, well, I guess like the earliest is like, you know, in elementary school, you're performing the little plays and stuff you do. But in high school, our drama club would host uh, coffee shops where they'd you know, set up the stage and there'd be coffee and tea and the musicians would perform and people would get up and read poetry. Um, and after a while, eventually a friend of mine would get up and do a couple Kids in the Hall sketches that we just knew off the top of our head where we'd just be like, hey, you want to do this one? Yeah, let's go do it. And we'd get up and we would, from memory, do these sketches. And then... Pretty good. Yeah, I think so too. So, I mean, we ourselves didn't really understand the 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 depths of the humor of the Doors album sketch, but 
we knew it, so we did it. <laughs> uh, Yep. After 2003 or four, um, a friend of mine, Mike, and I finally decided, hey, let's stop. Let's stop talking about doing a sketch comedy show, and let's start. Let's actually sit down and do it. And we, um, um, a friend of ours, Jeff, who we worked with, who was another huge comedy nerd like we were, um, and another another guy, Craig decided we'll meet on Fridays. Let's start meeting on Fridays and we'll put something together. And that became the Gentleman's Rotary Auxiliary. And we produced a couple shows. Um, yeah, I guess we were around 2004, 2005. Yeah. Where are you doing Yeah. We did the show. Our first show we did, it was our self-produced which means self-funded. Um, we actually did it at the Shubin because at the uh, I had done a, a, a performance of No Exit there and found out how really cheap it was to rent. It was 500 bucks for the whole week. And um, so I was like, hey, it's 500 bucks. We get the whole week there, let's do it. So we rented the Shubin and we had gone around to see other groups at some places. So we got in contact with uh, Rare Bird Show, who were an improv group, and Animosity Pierre, who were another sketch group. And basically said, hey, we've got... Yeah. Yeah. And Matt, Matt still, I mean, Matt and still is still one of the best improv shows in the city. Um, and uh, Animosity Pierre has gone by the wayside a few years ago, but they continued to produce uh, Philly Sketchfest for a long time. So we put together um, a, a weekend, and uh, I don't even remember how many, if anybody, showed up for it. But um, it was one of those things where he just decided to do it, slapped some money on the table, and then just... Uh, started to do it. And unfortunately, a friend of ours started running a art space in South Jersey. And we were able to, we were almost like the default hosts of things. We would host um, uh, Skits and Giggles was the name of the uh, <laughs> monthly show that started where we brought in a sketch group, a stand-up, and usually another sketch group or a stand-up, and we would host the show. Um, so that gave us an excuse to come up with more material on, on, on the regular, as they say. But uh, after a couple of years, it just, uh, you know, when you're self-producing, it is the worst thing in the world. I actually, I, I hate producing, and it just got to be too much to 
book the spaces and rally the troops and front the money and all that stuff. So. Uh, well, actually, there was after the after the gents broke up, um, I took a little bit of a hiatus and I didn't really do anything. And when Fit put out the call for their first house sketch team, I submitted. That's and I've I've actually I've actually been with the Flat Earth from the beginning. Um, originally, I just wanted to write. I didn't want to perform anymore. I just wanted to write. Um, and after, I think it was about the first two or three shows, I didn't really, I wasn't really feeling the, the group dynamic that was happening. I f so I uh, excused myself from the group for a short time. And um, when I was on my hiatus, I did um, a handful of shows as the Clay and Calhoun sketch comedy. Yeah. I only did it twice. Okay. Um, it was one of these uh, concept things I had come up that only I thought would be funny, where I did the first show at Philly Sketchfest. Um, it was originally uh, the original idea was to do like a one-man show, um, and a one-man show in which I talked very. I didn't talk very much. I wanted to, to almost to be almost an entirely silent one-man show. But as I started writing, I realized I can't do that. I can't keep my mouth shut. Um, I couldn't write silent characters. I everything I was writing was very verbose and stuff like that. So I did the one show for uh, at Philly Sketchfest, and then the idea was to keep doing the same show but adding one sketch each time I did it. So eventually we get longer and longer and longer, but always doing the same sketches, but with one new one thrown in there. Um, but that also became the thing where it was a self-producing thing and I don't like that. So it's, it kind of went by the wayside. And um, after a while, uh, I'd still kept in touch with Flat Earth and I still went to their shows and I still loved them and supported them. And after one night after a show, uh, Matt just came up and said, hey, do you want to come back? I was like, I kind of do want to come back. I, I miss you guys very much. Uh, I, I would actually really like to come back. And then he said, all right, we'll see you on Tuesday. And yeah. And when I came back to Flat Earth, my original plan was to write, just write, and only a, occasionally appear on stage. I didn't want to I felt they had a really good, they had finally created like this really good rhythm and I didn't want to jump into it because I really thought I was just going to mess everything up by just inserting myself into this chemistry that they had. So I just wanted to just write and I was like, the inside joke will be, I'll say one line in every show and that'll be it. <laughs> but eventually as we're writing and there's characters who say two lines, then there's characters who say three lines. Uh, eventually, I ended up just performing a little bit more and finding my way, yeah. going against everything I said I was ever going to do. No, I, I wasn't yelling. It was correction. It wasn't a correction. <laughs> uh, because I said in a previous episode that there had been additions and subtractions. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's always been, yeah, no one has been, I mean, other than me coming back, has been added to the Flat Earth. Yeah, the original writing crew was uh, Steve Swan was our head writer, myself, Matt Schmid, Jess Ross, Luke Field, and Sean. And then they cast a acting, uh, a cast component component. Because when I went into uh, the Flat Earth, I originally was thought like, all right, the writers are going to write, the actors are going to act, and that's how Willie thinks. And then it all just sort of like Sorry. blended and uh, flowed, and I, it kind of confused the hell out of me. Um, so our cast was Jackie Baker, um, Harry Watermeyer, Jim Grammond. Sean was one of our writers, yeah. Um, Bre- uh, Brent. Brent Knobloch? Yeah. yeah. It w- and it was like a, this weird thing where uh, the, the first sketch we performed, we didn't have a cast yet. So the, uh, the writers performed the first shows we did. And then we got a cast, and then it all blended together, and then people started to trickle away and are still trickling away. <laughs> Yeah. Two months later, all of that just fell to shit. Do a range broke up, uh, and the friend show was a disaster <laughs> in many ways. And I was just like, I should have auditioned. Yeah. It. it was just like immediate like regret for not doing it. Um, but now, Flat Earth is basically just five of you and Paul. It's yeah. Jackie and Matt, which they were the two that I wasn't sure had been with the group the entire time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, because Matt had always, Matt was the original writer and Jackie was the original cast member. Yes. That is the current lineup. Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thank you. If there's a pirated bootleg copy, send it to me because I'd like to see it too. <laughs> it's um, it's, I mean, I don't want to gush, but it's really wonderful. It's um, we get together once a week, shoot the shit, try to make each other laugh, and then by the end, try to have some sketches written. Um, it doesn't feel like work. It just feels like we're all hanging out and we're we're making things together, which is really beautiful. And I really, you know, I really love it. It it really is. Um, because I'll I'll admit the earliest days of the flat Earth, I was not too happy. Um, it seemed like there was a 
a definite competition to get your stuff on stage the most and um, people writing. I mean, I'm not a prolific writer. I write very sparingly. And in fact, if, if, you're, if you've watched these Flat Earth shows, the shortest sketches are the ones I've written. <laughs> yeah. I, the the, the long-running joke is that my sketches are always one page and it ends with long, slow fade out. Um, so it seemed like there were a lot of people jockeying for their stuff to get on stage and even stuff that was not really done, I mean, and still felt incomplete when we were taking it to stage, they uh, politic and really push to get their stuff on stage. Whereas now, I mean, we, we basically throw everything on the table and talk about it and nobody, it doesn't feel like a competition anymore. It feels like we all want to build a really good show together. Exactly. And even to the point where like, even if something's not done or if like as a sketch isn't, well, not complete, but it doesn't feel like we've reached its full potential. If we believe in who's performing it or we believe in its potential, we'll just like, all right, it's not done, but let's just roll with it and see what happens. Because we have both the respect and the trust for each other that we can throw out an idea into the wind and trust that somebody else will catch it and run with it. Yeah. I don't think it's about bad mouthing. It's about who who works well with each other. Because I mean, I didn't get along with everybody in Flat Earth, but I'll admit they're really friggin' talented, and uh, I would still go and see them perform. We just didn't work well together. Um, but I think that was also the thing. There were so many people, and so little time. So. Yeah. No, we weren't doing every two months, but something like that, yeah. 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 Yeah, and that's another thing, one of the things that really made me want to come back to uh, the Flat Earth is that, you know, having been, quote, in the scene for so long and having seen Secret Pants perform, you know, all the time, uh, I found that every time there was a sketch, I was like, oh, God, I wish I'd written that sketch. They were all Paul sketches. <laughs> so, 
it killed me to when I first left Flat Earth to leave working with with, with Paul and with some of the other members of this group, the the the, the group. But uh, getting to work with Paul again was another big reason for getting back into the Flat Earth because we had the same like work ethic. I the reason I don't write so much is because I can't put things on, I have this weird OCD thing, I can't really write half ideas. I don't like to sit down and type anything until in my head it's done, and then I'll put it on paper. And then once it's on paper, I don't want it to go on the stage until it's exactly the way I want it to sound. And um, yeah, and even take the left turn, take the right turn, we'll try it all different ways, but when we put it on stage, we want it to look the best it can look. And that's the type of work ethic that Paul has as well. And everyone else in the group has that same work ethic. But having known Paul for as long as I have, I know that he and I are on a similar mental plane. Yeah, we did one. We did one of the die after dies. One, one. We did that once. Um, where else did we perform? Really rando places that aren't even coming to mind. Like I'm getting, as I was, was thinking back, I see flex of. I mean, these best places are probably all out of business by now, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's it's beautiful inside there. It totally sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Theater thing came about um, actually one one performance that the the gentleman's radio auxiliary actually did try to do a like, radio style broadcast of Plan Nine from Outer Space a few years ago. Uh, it went okay. It was not as authentic as we all wanted it to be um, when it came to sound effects and music and stuff like that. And one of the things that happened was we all, there were four of us, and we read every part. So we had the responsibilities of learning the lines, and whoever wasn't speaking in that scene had to take care of the sound effects. And um, it was something I enjoyed doing, but wanted to do right, or authentic, more authentically, not right, but more authentically. And uh, it was one of... One of the things that I thought about doing for a long time and then decided just to kind of like kick myself in the pants and, and do it because um, old radio shows are things I've always loved. And actually, uh, there was a, a time I had pitched to um, Fit, had done like one of those like open pitch things like pitch your show, and I had pitched uh, the lost episode of the Clay and Calhoun sketch comedy or and it would have been a broadcast from 1945 that the, the script would have been as if we were performing for the troops, for the GIs in a USO show, 
but it would have been like an old radio show on stage. Um, the script, I mean, I'm not tossing it out there because the script is still something I would love to do because half the script is written by my grandfather um, who was a, um, who wrote for his ship's newspaper during the war. So I've got all these old newspapers that have like these corny jokes and stuff. And when I pitched it to them, the response I got back was, oh, we did an improv show in the dark. And that's kind of the same thing. I thought, well, no, that's not the same thing. So it kind of turned me off from wanting to... (laughs) Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it, it, it stuck in my craw that they didn't understand what I was saying. And so a couple of, you know, time rolls on and having known Joe Moore for so long, I knew that if I had talked to him, he would give me a shot to perform it. And it was, it was going to just be a lark, just a one-time thing, get it out of my system and uh, uh, be done with it. But then we started rehearsing and then I started thinking about other ideas to do radio shows and... um, this fear had kind of crept into me when I was when I got my tumor diagnosis that my performing days were over, that I wasn't going to be able to uh, perform anymore. But I wanted to still find a way to perform by not performing. And the way you do that is by producing, which I hate doing. <laughs> so I might as well produce something that I'll enjoy doing. So as we rolled through and people, not only uh, when they, I mean, the best way to, to say it is they bought into the WGRA production. It wasn't just, hey, we showed up, we did this funny thing, and now we'll move on to something else. They really bought into, like, let's do this as authentically as possible. Let's, uh, here's the rules of the game. And when are we going to play this game again? So <clears throat> after the, the Plan 9 performance, which we did at Fit, yeah. Yeah, 20 people. Yeah. Uh, the only time, there were uh, two people doubled up because they were um, one lines. And uh, when <laughs> I got everybody lined up on stage and saw how much room everybody took up, uh, it became necessary to rather, than, when I realized there was like, oh, here's someone with one line, let's not cast one more person. Let's ask somebody who's obviously I've got a very talented cast in a slightly different voice. Yeah. 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 If you go to. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Yeah, motive murder. Yeah. <laughs> or as it's pronounced, motive murder. <laughs> uh, for the most part, yeah, I was able to get, I mean, uh, I was able to get uh, Brian Craig to come back and Quentin and Julia. Yeah. Yeah, they will always be my first choices of everything that I do with that because they 
the, I'm trying to think of the best way to say that they were the ones who also gave the most encouragement as we were performing, as we were getting ready to do Plan 9. And really made me think like, oh, this isn't a kitschy thing that people want to try. This is a thing that people want to do. So, um, but yeah, with Motive Murder, it is a original script and it is an actual choose your own adventure script where after each scene, the audience chooses what the next scene is with a little musical interlude and then we move on as, and the play progresses. Oh, okay. Thursday night, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks. It's a thing now. There's a Facebook page, and there's a. I bought the domain, so. <laughs> so it is now a thing, um, and. Uh, the idea is to, to keep it going, but only do shows every couple of months so that I don't weigh myself down. And also, I don't want to interfere with the flat earth. So um, I don't want them to be competing beasts. Oh, yeah. And plus, it's easy, too, when you have a project where no one has to really learn their lines or their blocking. Yeah. Uh, so much easier, yeah. But then at the same time, when you have a cast of 20 and people are coming and going through, timing is tough, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know what? I think the first cast member I really felt an affinity for was Gilda Radner. Okay. Um, I always like, I, I've always been drawn to the people who can create characters because I cannot create characters. Um, and, you know, over the course of those like short, abbreviated versions, you'd see three completely different characters that she would do. And I, that always blew me away. Rosanna Dana. Uh, Lucy, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um. I was actually thinking about this because I have been listening to the pod. I've, I've been listening to the podcast, and I've given some thought. I've been doing my homework, and I I think it really boils down to this. It it boiled down to that I've got this. I'm trying to think of the best way to to say it, but not sound super pretentious. Okay. I have this weird dichotomy where I'm a very social person, but I also have social anxieties. Um, so I'm not good in big crowds. Um, I also have this thing where I just, if I don't know someone, I just assume they don't like me. So the, I've, you know, over, for, for, for many years I've been alive, 
I've I've found that the that comedy has been the only way that I've been able to communicate with other people, whether it's been uh, you know through performance or just through like that's my gateway to to meeting new people, um, and it's really just been the only language I've ever really understood too. So I think that's I think that's why comedy. <laughs> yeah. But there's also that other thing that brings in comedy too, where you meet people who are comedians who are constantly on. Yes. So <laughs> that that brings that whole other that other thing into it that just adds to the social anxiety, where you're just like, I'm a person, and I know you're a person. I'm not your audience. I just want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to applaud you in a restaurant. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, it breaks. It boils down to like comedy is is a good universal language. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a good way to have a physical effect on someone without touching them. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we are. Section one sixteen, row A, seats. Yeah. Are you really? We've been neighbors the whole time. We had no idea. <laughs> It's been, uh, yeah. It's like the old union. It's how it really feels. Let's trade away Sebastian Latou. We do that every two years. Who's gone? <laughs> do you have to cut it from that show now? Do you have to cut your whole Philadelphia <laughs> Union sketch from the show? Now he can add most traded union player to his uh, resume. Yeah. And who did he get traded for? The same player he was traded for before. Al Location Money. <laughs> It's the worst. And that's the thing. Like I used to have season tickets to the Phillies for the long, like back to the vet. And then we moved to the new stadium. We got nice new seats. And then it became too much to have Phillies and Union tickets. And we can't give up those seats. They're too close. Um, but they make it tough to, to keep going back. But the, I, I think we'll make the playoffs this year. I, I think we'll be five or This will be one of the few years where we are one of the three teams that doesn't make the playoffs in MLS. I think we will actually make the playoffs this year and we'll be knocked out in the first round. And it's fine that Taylor, our first draft pick, he's going to be like a 10, so. Yeah. Like, what a 10, what a yeah. 
But I will say this. I mean, I, this year, uh, when they lose a game late like they did this past weekend, um, I'm shocked. Not like last year when I was like, yeah, well, that's what happens. Yeah. Um, the ties don't feel so much like wins anymore. The ties feel like losses this year, which I think is, is telling for the team moving forward. Yes. Which I think we do. I think. Yeah. I, well, I think a dude might have to be on his way out because he has rarely, barely played. Yeah. Plus, I am not of the mindset that the refereeing is on the level. I, I really think that. I firmly believe that they, going into the past few weeks, have seen NYCFC starting to make a move. So let's knock the other teams down a peg so we can get our, our golden boy, uh, NYCFC, to the top of the table. So it makes it really difficult when you have to play the other team and the refereeing at the same time. Because we sit very close to the field and we see a lot of, we'll say, bad calls. <laughs> so. <laughs> Do you do the same thing I do where you, uh, you get home from the game and then you watch the highlights so you can see them from the midfield angle to see if they're as bad as... <laughs> if, if, if there's something like super egregious that I have to... I will. Yeah. Go, like, the, the Connor Casey ejection? Did you want to see that one? I will check them out to see what's going on. Yeah. Luckily, my buddy Mike, his brother, will watch the games from home, and he'll text us like, yeah, that was a foul. Yeah, he was offsides. <laughs> so we get real-time updates at the game we're at. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. Do, are there any other questions? Does anybody else have any questions? I'll... Watch... I'll tell you something. <laughs> um, well, here, we'll buy some time while I goes to the back. Um, watching the baby is the greatest thing that I've got going on right now because it is absolutely, I mean, everybody says this. It's the total stereotypical new parent thing, like, oh, my baby's amazing, my baby's just, but it is, it is amazing. Um, Sometimes I'll just, I, I'm the type of person who constantly has to be doing two things at a time because I've, I always like to say if I lived 400 years ago, I'd be a renaissance man, but today I'm just someone with AD and ADD. So I have to be doing multiple things at once, watching TV, writing, checking Twitter, whatever else is going on, but putting the baby on my chest and just sitting there, I have never... I, well, I'll say I have rarely ever felt like that's the only thing that I want to do or that I should be doing at that moment. Just sit in there and hold that, that, that baby. I don't need to do anything else. It's really, it's really great for, um, I guess, my psyche, I guess, would be the best way to do it. The only other time I feel like that at ease is when like, I'm camping and in the middle of nowhere, so there's nothing to distract me. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for having me.